This is Cynthia Daniels, Chief Event Strategist of Cynthia Daniels and Company, and I'm on Verbally Effective Podcast with Ina Esco. It done written already, and I want love to hear this now representing Big Up Ina Esco, Big Up Verbally Effective. Yeah, man. Jamaica representing to the fullest. Chalani. Verbally Effective, episode 43, your double E, Ina Esco. Welcome, welcome. Thank you all for listening. You could be anywhere in the world right now, but you are here with me and my guest. I am so excited that he is here. It's been a long time coming, but he finally made his way through the doors. I am talking about a legend, the Teflon Don, America's premier steel spinner, Talking about Howard motherfucking Q. Hey, Ina. <laughs> hey, Howard. How are you? I'm doing great, especially now that I'm seeing your smile. What to do? What's up? You know, I saw you um, a few months back at the kickback, and we were talking about getting you on the podcast. Right. And, you know, with you coming on the podcast comes a lot. Meaning, you have so much history. I mean, a lot like what? History. History. You know why I say that? Why? It's so many people in the game, in the entertainment game alone. And I'm just talking about the Mid-South, I'm sure, in other areas as well, that you have helped get in the business. Am I right? Yeah. I'm passionate about that. There's a reason, though. There's a reason. There's a reason. And I'm sure you're going to explain those reasons on the pod today. Hey, I got you. (laughs) But before we get started on just jumping full-fledged into entertainment, I like to talk about where my guests are, you know, what hood you're from. What what neighborhood are you from in the Mid-South area? I'm kind of like a gypsy. A gypsy? Kind of, really? yeah, yeah. Been all over the place. Okay. I grew up I grew up in Memphis, and I grew up wherever my father was stationed in the military. Oh, you're an okay. army brat. Right. So, okay. So my mother's home was here in Westwood. 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 Westwood, okay. Chickasaw. I was on the Chickasaw side of the street. Okay. So I went to... Hyde Park, Whitehaven Elementary, Chickasaw Junior High School, and Hillcrest High School. Wow. And so your dad, uh, did you move around a lot with him? A little bit. Um, part of the agreement that my parents had was when I wasn't in, wasn't in school, I'd be with him. Okay. So wherever he was, they'll wrap me up uh, in some in some camouflage stuff and stick me in the back of a damn B-52, and i just show up somewhere on the planet where he was stationed. Okay. And where did you graduate? Westwood? No, Hillcrest. Hillcrest. Okay, so let me ask you this. You know, everybody knows you and relates you to music. Were you musically inclined in high school? I've been musically inclined all of my life. Okay. What uh, were you doing in high school specifically? Playing drums and xylophone. Really? In the band? In the band. And I was one of the majorette drummers. What? Yeah, I played for the majorettes, yeah. Is that where it City-wide all began? Citywide champs a couple of times. Woo! <laughs> yeah. Is that where it all began? Or where no. did your love for music start? Uh, listening to my father play in a band where he was a trumpet player. Wow. Really? Are you familiar with uh, More Better Blues? Yes. Bleece? Yeah. That was kind of like my father. Wow. So you were listening to him ever since you were a tot. Yeah, he was the second trumpet on Chuck Van Jones' uh, recording, Grazing the Grass. Wow. So I grew up in the studio around music, all of that. All of my uncles and aunts played. And it was a requirement in the family that you play an instrument. So I started out playing the violin. I went to the viola. 
then in middle school, they, well, junior high, they didn't have that program, and somebody put a drum mallet in my hand, and my IQ dropped to about zero. <laughs> and I played drums all the way through college. Wow. So you went to TSU. Right. And so you Big were, Blue in the building. I know. I know you have a lot of good stories to tell about TSU. Hey, man, it was real school days, man. We talking like the 80s, right? Right. This so was what was be, it like in the 80s at TSU? Let me say it like this. This was before <laughs> HIV. Oh, wow. So you go figure. Wow. You go figure. Y'all were doing y'all think. Everybody doing anything. <laughs> the thing was being done. Oh, my God. Okay, so you played the drums in the band at TSU. You pledged Kappa Alpha Psi. Right. What year was that? 1990. How many Line Brothers you got? Me, officially? Seven. Mm-hmm. And what, what's, what's your line? Nashville name? alumni. My line name? Mm-hmm. Take a guess. Mr. Nasty Man. Nope. <laughs> My line name was Limited Funds. Limited Funds? Right. Really? Right. I DJed my way in a frat. Did you? Limited Funds. I was broke. I was the only guy that showed up out of 500 guys at the smoker that had on a coordinated blazer and slacks. Everybody else had suits. Oh, wow. And the pole mark asked me, what the hell are you doing here dressed like this? I said, this is all I got. Wow. They said that boy got hot. Yeah. And I know what I want. You know what you want. And I'm going to get it. I know that's right, Howard. I ho- okay, so at TSU. Okay, TSU. All now, right. now, you know, I, I've been doing my research on you, and, and I know that you were working with some DJs, uh, helping them out from Detroit and Chicago with their records and things of that nature. How did that all come about? Like you and your relationship with with djs okay at a college Let, level. okay we had to go back during okay, that we'll time during that time the djs were like celebrities right right i didn't know how to dance but i wanted to be cool mm-hmm. right so i worked on electronic equipment in the engineering lab at tsu so i used to repair their cassette decks and mixers mm-hmm. for class projects mm-hmm. then after a while everybody started bringing me their stuff then that graduated to me going to the parties, setting up the sound equipment. Oh. Then I started carrying the records. And then the DJs would get so inebriated during the course of the party, they would have me there, you know, to kind of play a little music or play slow songs and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of grew from there. Then I met uh, Lamar Taylor, DJ Too Smooth. That was in 87, 87, 86, 86, 87, somewhere along in there. And he was very introverted. He didn't like to talk. Mm-hmm. But... He was hell on some turntables. Mm-hmm. I said, I'll tell you what, I'll advocate for you. I'll set up all your <laughs> gigs, and all you got to do is come up, play the music, and leave, and you can get your money from me. And thusly, the beginning of voice entertainment, I became the voice for the DJs. Wow. So, I mean, you were just a natural on the mic. Mm, I wouldn't say that. I heard R.J. Groove, yeah, at, uh, Groove doing Two for Tuesdays at Alfred's one night. Uh Doing his thing where do the ladies run this? Okay. Mm -hmm. And I was listening to it, and I'm thinking to myself, damn, (laughs) if I can do that, we'll be off the chain. Well, the Greeks were already chanting. Mm -hmm. All the Greeks were chanting on the microphone. But R.J. Groove had a different spin on it because he wasn't talking about anything collegiate or Greek. It was just stuff to hype the crowd up. And I went back for about six Tuesdays straight until I recorded his entire show. And then I came back and practiced it. And then I started being on the microphone. Wow. 
And were you talking nasty back then? No, I wasn't talking nasty back then. Not no, yet. Not no, I wasn't. I, I, hey, I can tell you how that started. <laughs> if you want to know. I if know. you really want to know, I'll tell you how that started. <laughs> look, look, let, look, let me tell you. I mean, you. I'll tell you. I, I, I'm not afraid now. <laughs> okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. Before we jump into that, because that's we, we get into D&D at that point. No, we're not. That didn't start at Denim and Dime. Where did it start? That started at the Aqua Lounge. The Aqua Lounge. What's right. The Aqua Lounge. The Aqua Lounge was on Winchester and uh, Mendenhall, uh, next to the building that people came to know is. Uh, it used to be the no name, but it oh, it was no Cactus name. Jacks at one time. Okay, and it yeah. was also Envy, right? Right. So they had a club there that was called the Aqua Lounge, and um, that was right after I uh, walked off my engineering job, started the Sunday night, and it was a girl that I was you know, kind of hanging out with a little bit. And she bet me that she couldn't spend the night without me trying to sleep with her. Mm -hmm. So I didn't. So to to embarrass me for doing that, Hypo gave her the microphone and she goes, guess what, y'all? On the microphone from the club about 800 people, Howard has a little dick. No! And I was like, (laughs) I grabbed the microphone. I said, okay, I might have a little dick, but I got a nine-inch tongue. And everybody went wild. And I was like, Ding, ding, ding. Right. We're going to roll with it. Because it's time. Because everybody was talking about how they exploited women, mm-hmm. how they were, you know, beating them up, pimping them, and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I decided to take an angle of being freaky, and it worked for me. It did, because I remember as a senior in high school, me and my friends going to Denim and Diamonds. Like, let's just say for the first time and hearing you on the microphone talking freaky. We thought we were grown at that point. Like, yeah, we really somewhere now. But, you know, you got all the ladies hyped up. Like, you know, we thought we was doing something. The whole thing was <laughs> at that time, you know, people were so confrontational. Uh, I wanted to do something that would bring people together. And I know sex is one thing that definitely is a unifier. So if you can get people out of the mindset of trying to exploit people or or be confrontational, that sort of thing, in more of a sexual manner, then you have a better party. And that's what's kind of missing, you know, today, the romanticism. Because that was a part of everything that we did. Definitely. Now, how did the guys respond to you with you know, you bringing sex in the forefront of... I brought their asses out of the closet because all of them was sucking ass. They oh just didn't want to admit it. <laughs> I made it cool. You made it cool. I made it cool. I said, man, how the hell are you going to have a woman you tell her you love her and you don't want to eat her pussy? What's up with that? Right. 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 So yeah, I, I mean, pleasure her. Yeah. Pleasure that woman. You did. Make you her did. pee in the bed. Turn the mattress over. Oh my God. Look, he had all the fellas blushing at, at, at dinner But diamonds. guess what? Before it was all over with, I had half the city eating pussy. You wrong. You about did. Huh? I mean, there you, you go. There's nothing wrong with that. Now, wait a minute. Let's back up a little bit. You said. You're doing a lot of backing up. You can back that ass up. Howard, oh, don't start with me. Okay. Look, wait a minute. All right. All right. You said, I walked off of my engineering job. Right. So you went to TSU with a com- on a uh, computer science uh, degree. Right. You got a computer science right. degree. Got a big engineering job. International paper. And so you paper. just said, forget it, an international paper. Mm-hmm. So you were you was it because of the flow of income? No. What was it? Your uh, passion? I'll say it like this. My manager, uh, back and forth, found out that I was DJing, said mm-hmm. I had a hobby. And one day he said, if we had wanted a uh, DJ, we would have hired Donnie Simpson. And I'm a little bit confrontational and passionate when it comes to that. And that was very inappropriate for corporate America. And on January the 3rd, 
or fourth, nineteen ninety four. Mm-hmm. Came back for the new year. He leaned back and said, "Happy New Year." And it would take Victor Mill- Miller to tell you what happened after that. I don't remember, but at the end of it, he was barricaded in his office, and uh, I had security guards standing on me. It was over with. Oh my! But I don't know what happened. I really, I really blacked out. You blacked out. Yeah, kind of. What, what does out. everyone say happened? I tried to. Well, I was trying to get at him. Oh my! I mean, I mean do you think that he was? jealous or you know. I don't I, I really don't know what it was I just know that you know I had started making so much money from parties I really mm-hmm. didn't care was it hard to balance a corporate lifestyle and an underground you know DJ lifestyle not really it wasn't that bad mm-hmm. you just do your job right because but you I laid, money on both ends at well but the corporate thing I found out really wasn't for me because I don't I don't think corporate I was a little bit ahead of my time. The stuff that I was doing then mm-hmm. in my in my corporate acumen, if you will, is more appropriate for now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't believe in a 40-hour work week. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't believe in attendance. You know, I was all about performance. So if I had a job to do, if it took me 48 hours staying at the office to get it done because I was programming, that's what I would do. Okay. okay. If I had to come in on a Sunday night because I had a solution, you might find me at my desk Monday morning wearing robe, flip flops and a hat to the back. Mm-hmm. But I found the problem. Mm-hmm. And at that time, that type of work ethic was not embraced. Mm-hmm. And it hadn't been until the millennials came out that corporate America has gone more toward, you know, performance based as mm-hmm. opposed to attendance based. Wow. So you've always been a perfectionist. Right. Always. Always. <laughs> okay, so um, you, you let your corporate job go. Um, you did your collegiate connection thing. How did all of that come about? The collegiate connection? The collegiate connection. The collegiate connection was started when um, when Devin was at, um, was at UT Martin. He was doing parties, and I'd see him out at the clubs when I was passing out mixtapes. He was a really good DJ. He had this, this, this scratch that he did on the snare. And it it brought the music in, you know, at a really, really impactful place. I'll say it that way. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to my guys. So I said, man, we need to get him, you know, and rock with us. And Devin was doing all the parties at uh, TSU. So we came together and we had the TSU-UT Martin connection. Mm-hmm. And we did a real big party at Headliners. We did one at uh, Studio G. It went really well. And rather than come up with the TSU-UT Martin connection, the J-State UT Martin connection. I said, man, we're going to make this generic and just call it the collegiate connection and thus, you know, branding it. So that way it would encompass any colleges anywhere. Wow. And that's that's what started our movement. Wow. Collegiate. How long did collegiate connection last? It went from 1990, 1993 all the way to 2000, 2002, somewhere in there. That's a long time. The Diamond closed May 2003, so it was somewhere around there. They stopped letting us do cook parties. Okay, so so the Collegiate Connection was incorporated with Denim and Diamonds. Right. With the my co- introduction to Howard. I mean, you see, the, the Collegiate <laughs> Connection the collegiate connection was actually the brand that started the Sunday night mm-hmm. at Denim and Diamonds. Those were the days. Like, I know you do your Denim and Diamond reunions now. Like, we had so much fun. Like, I don't think I've been to a party like in my older years now where it was just flat out fun like that. You know what I'm saying? Whose fault do you think that is? Is it my fault? Is it? <laughs> I don't think so. Is somebody providing that type of entertainment these days? 
Possibly. Possibly. Right. Everybody's attitude was different when we went to parties back then. You went to the party to have fun, to meet yeah. people, that sort of thing. So when the malls closed, all right, and people start uh, engaging with each other on social media, that took away the need to go to those big parties and stuff like that. So now you have to have another reason to go. Yeah. Social media changed so much. Yeah, it did. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And and don't you notice, um, I know you still get out and about when you get out, people on their phones with their heads down, not even engaged in the party. Mm, you notice some of that? I notice a lot of that. Yeah. Again, whose fault is that? Mm. The, the the people throwing the party to keep them is engaged. It? Is it? Should we keep collect their phones at the door? Like, what do we? What do you do? I mean, okay, let's equate this to something that everybody's familiar with. Mm-hmm. If a girl is in the bed with you and you're stimulating her and she doesn't seem to be responding, whose fault is it? The person trying to stimulate her. Is it? Is it the person trying to stimulate her, or is it the girl's frame of mind that doesn't want to be stimulated? Hmm. So, which one is it? It could be either or. It could be either or, right? Mm-hmm. So the point I'm making is when it comes to that kind of stuff, it's up to the DJs, mm-hmm. you know, and as well as the people throwing the party to put the right match together. Mm-hmm. You have to have the right DJ for the people you're promoting to. Mm-hmm. But nowadays, promoters try to hire DJs that have a following. Mm-hmm. Okay. See what I mean? It's a little bit different. Oh, so okay, there's not a match okay. going on. It's like, okay, uh, so-and-so has so many followers, I'm going to hire him. But that person, but that may be that person may be inappropriate for your crowd, right? So you got to have a good match. Size does matter. (laughs) Yes, it does, Howard. Now tell me about um, you working at the different radio stations. Not only K ninety seven, you was at K ninety seven, Hot one hundred seven, and what other station? It was it was K ninety seven, V one hundred one. Uh, what was that? Power 98, uh, 103.5, and, and I did say uh, High 107. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was at all of them. Um, basically, when Nate Bell came into the market, mm-hmm. he made the live broadcast a commodity. Mm-hmm. Okay. So all of these nightclubs then wanted a live broadcast, and most of the live nights that were being promoted were nights either that I promoted or I was DJing. Mm -hmm. So the radio stations had to find a way to get a part of that market share, especially coming out of Denim and Diamonds. Right. So the only way to do it was to go live on the air. And since I owned everything, no, you cannot go live with your jock. If I'm not on the air, it's not going to happen. You had it on lock like that. So I didn't need, because I didn't need radio. Mm -hmm. My popularity was built outside of radio so by the time that culture came to be i was already established so i didn't need them Mm. and they needed us and they needed our venues so i leveraged that to be able to get on the air dang so like were you on like a friday night from 10 to 12 on k then you know i was on i was on thursday nights i think if i remember correctly it was thursday nights on power Mm -hmm. friday nights on on k97 Old School Drive on V101 and Sunday nights on on K97. And in between there, I had stints where I was doing 103.5 and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Right. Do you do you listen to radio these days? Do you still listen to radio? What do you listen to, Howard? Mm, I listen to YouTube, uh, SoundCloud, Mm -hmm. 
are you looking for new 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 music or you know a, a specific genre or you know no. how do you make your music selection I just listen to what people are playing and what they have in their headphones at the gym and stuff like that. I get stimulated from all over the place. Mm -hmm. I'm a music guy, mm -hmm. so I just like music. Mm -hmm. So if I hear if I hear something interesting that catches my ear, then I go investigate it. And if it's something that I think I might like, I just go try to find as much of it as I can and make a mixtape. And make a mix. So you still making mixtapes? Of course. They're okay. digital, but yeah. <laughs> They're digital now. What do you think about the technology, how it has totally evolutionized? Like, you know. What do you mean? I mean. I'm a computer guy. So what, what, so what are you saying? have you always been on the forefront of the changes? I was the first. Like, did you see all this coming? I was the first person in Memphis at a nightclub to use a computer in place of records. Really? At Denim and Diamonds in 1999, Final Scratch 1.1. 1. 1. Wow. I was the first one to transition my record collection to digital. Was it a hard transition for you to do, being used to being on turntables? Well, the vinyl is still there. It was just getting the music formatted properly, which took about eight months, six hours a day, six days a week to transition all the vinyl mm -hmm. and all the different versions, mm -hmm. you know, to get them on a hard drive and get them formatted. Mm -hmm. But it was worth it. Yeah. In the long run, because I had almost given up on DJ and I dropped my records once they got disorganized. I said, I'm done. And then cuts came from. Records. Right. So cuts came from. He was from Germany and say, man, you can DJ with these turntables and, you know, your music on a computer. I'm like, that's a bunch of bullshit. That's impossible. Mm -hmm. So he showed it to me and I was like, wow, mm -hmm. that's dope. Mm -hmm. So we invested the money. Uh, learn the technology, and then, you know, the rest is kind of history. Wow. I mean, so if you were to get booked for a party, you're definitely going straight computer. I mean, every everything, DJ. All, all the music is on the computer. Okay. Don't get it twisted. Okay. I <laughs> still, still I, I still, no, I, well, they're Stantons, <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I have my decks. Mm -hmm. I have my decks, but that's, that's a different price point. Mm -hmm. uh, you got to be flexible. So if you want to if you want to if you want the turntable show I have that mm -hmm. uh, you come down a little bit I'll bring you the CD players and um, <laughs> you know if it's, if you're on a budget I'll bring the controller it, it doesn't matter to me. Mm -hmm. no. Now who are some of your favorite DJs? My favorite DJs like new DJs. Oh my goodness I don't know. You don't know. I don't know. So because you have to define what a DJ is. Uh, mixer, the the, the person that the plays person the music. That plays the music at the party. Uh, let me tell you something. <laughs> my my favorite guy right now. I ha I have two. I know you got one. I I, I mean locally mm -hmm. I I have two. When it comes to when it comes to the scratching and the manipulation of the records at a party, it's my guy DJ Houston. Mm -hmm. When he gets in his he's zone, he, he's he's cold. His little brother's hard too, and but. My favorite dude when it comes to just playing music for a crowd is Lighter 5.0. Mm -hmm. And that's when he's when he's really gone mm -hmm. and he didn't hit that green. Lighter, <laughs> man. And he gets shaking his head like he's right here. Lighter it's cold. over. He's been it's around over. I mean that that that's my guy. Wow. So like when you go to a party and you're listening to the music, I know you probably just have a different ear for things that others don't, you know, just with your musical background. What do you mean? As far as, you know, okay, well, let me ask you a question. So when you go to a party as a DJ, are you like saying, 
to yourself, oh, he ain't shit, or oh, he cold. Like, you know, are you analyzing? That 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 just com- that comes with the territory. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm listening for his transitions, but now they have these buttons on computers and and laptops called sync. So all you got to do is go bump, 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 and release, wow. and it's going to automatically have the track synced up. So now I'm listening to where they're bringing the records in, how people are responding, and that sort of stuff. So what is Howard Q uh, doing these days? I know you're working on some stuff. Are you going to tell us some secrets today, Howard? Secrets? There ain't no secrets. All it's you no secrets. All you got to do is uh, look We've on social media. We've been watching the pictures on social media, Yeah, we have uh, 4226 South 3rd Street, Memphis, Tennessee, 38109. Uh, will be called Studio Three. Okay. It's a uh, it's a nightclub venue. It's targeted for thirty and up. Uh, it's a nice age range. Yeah, yeah, it is a great age range, and it's one of those things. I'm partnering with uh, Thomas Brownlee, aka BBEMG, aka so Big Brownlee. Brownlee. Um, and the thing is, is that it's a pretty it's a pretty sizable investment. Uh, I think it's like a three and a half million dollar build out mm. in Westwood. Um, so, I mean, that's what we've been working on for about over a year now, just silently. Now it's about time to get it done. It's one of the few venues in the city that's been designed by, by a DJ. You designed the building, Howard? Mm, a lot of the modifications coming from being a transition from being a strip club to a, uh, a nightclub. Yeah. It's a lot of, it's a lot of little details that most people unless you've been involved with nightlife for a very long time, wouldn't think about, mm. you know, when you come in the door, we have a very, a very, very, very well laid out uh, entry area and a coat check that you can see. Mm. So people don't have to feel insecure about their valuables being in their coats. I mean, the whole coat check is wide open, mm-hmm. but it's guarded. Just a little stuff like that. DJ booth is flat, mm-hmm. has a lot of space. Um, the sound system is going to be second to none. It's going to be concert level. Just stuff like that. I know you're going to have that sound right. Oh, yeah. It's going to be tight. When is it opening? Uh, when we're finished. And I'm not being sarcastic either. Uh, it's just when we're finished. Uh, we're doing, um, we have an event. Uh, we're doing Brownlee's All Black Day Party. You know, we're doing that. We're doing DJ Platinum's Black and Gold event over Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. Okay. You know, so, so these I'm, events will be at Studio Three, right? Okay, and it won't be official until the sign goes up. The sign is not going to go up until everything is done. So mm-hmm. we're in a position now where we can host events and kind of give people a taste of the club, if you will. Mm-hmm. But we have a little ways to go before we can just open up and have our grand opening. But it's not going to be a grand opening until it's complete. We will definitely be hearing more from Howard Q on how Studio Three is progressing, and of course, we're going to dig a little bit deeper on part two of my session for Verbally Effective Podcast with Howard Keith.